All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode three of Back to Birding. This is your host, Patrick Higgins. And this is Luke Thompson. Welcome back, everyone. We are happy to be back. Christmas is just around the corner, and I think we are both officially done with our schooling for the semester. As of about two hours ago for me, I finished my stats exam, so... Awesome. How did that go? Decent, decent. Nice. I, I got an 85 on it, so... That's, that is decent. That's good. I could have gone better, but I didn't <laughs> study that well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Do you have any Christmas plans? I'm working 30 hours a week. Yeah. That's... Does that include Christmas Day? <laughs> it does not, thankfully. That's good. That's good. I, yeah, nothing super crazy mm-hmm. for the days that I'm working. Um, just a few shifts here and there because I'm broke. Me too, but I just quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> I, tomorrow's my last day. i got to find something new for next semester. But yeah. We'll see. Well, I guess we should talk about birds. Yeah. Let's get back to wording, and <laughs> we're two minutes in. But well, we've been talking about it in both episodes now, and we've been pushing it off on other topics. But we're finally going to talk about Baylor. Yeah, it's, it's many incredible attributes. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Um, for that, I say we should talk about what little birding has gone on in our lives in the past, <laughs> however many days, five yeah. days since we last recorded. Um, Patrick, have you done anything? No, <laughs> I, I've done a little bit of birding at my house. Um, Did you get anything? I got a killer picture of a yellow-bellied sapsucker. Oh sucker. yeah, I saw that. That was yeah. sick. Yeah, I was stoked about that. The The tree uh, it was on was jet black and I didn't know why, but, um, a Tennessee birder, Mark Green, filled me in on some of that science. Black mold, right? Yeah, well, it's like something about the the sap from the woodpeckers, like, leaking out of it and then covering the bark, and then it reacts with water in a weird way. But super neat, and it made for a really cool picture. But yes, it did. Yes, so it did. <laughs> other than that, um, I've been trying to bird here and there but just too busy (laughs) Busy. with everything wrapping up and you know i think birding in the next few weeks will make up for it yeah hopefully hopefully it will um what about you i've been able to get out twice i got out pretty briefly after an exam with tim he uh he texted me recently it was like i got a i got a spot to scan for the roosting goals on chickamauga lake but it's a little bit sketchy to get there, which really intrigued me. I was like, oh, that sounds right. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so <Right>. exactly. <laughs> after school, I uh, drove out and uh, we hiked on a trail for about a quarter mile through some forest. Unclear if we were trespassing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, As always. Yeah. yeah. I, there was no, no trespassing sign. There was just a no hunting sign. So I think we're fine. Um well, that's that's the best of both worlds. You're not trespassing, and you don't have to worry about being shot. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And then, like, after hiking on the trail, there was just a steep hill and then the lake. So we promptly went off trail and slid. One could not call it walking. We were more like sliding our ways down this hill. <laughs> I'm guessing Tim was carrying his 
his very expensive equipment as well. So was that taken care of? I was carrying his camera. He was carrying his scope. Oh, wow. So that was a lot of pressure for me. <laughs> I, I can understand that. Um, but no, he, the scope actually helped him because uh, just balance on the way you down. use it as a walking stick. Yeah, pretty much. Then yeah. finally we got down to the shore, but there was like about a 10, 15 foot drop to the bank to get a more exposed view. But there was like a tree halfway down the middle, and I was like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just drop the gear down, except for my binoculars right here, uh, and climb down to that tree, and then there's some roots sticking out, and we just climb down from there. So I did that. I almost fell, but it's fine. I made it to the shore, found a place for Tim to walk down, and the goals were all up by, like, <laughs> thousands of goals up by the platform where we normally watch from. Not where you were. Not where we were. Dang. It was... <laughs> that's, that's typical. You, you move to one spot and they're at the other spot. Yeah. I mean, we got some really nice looks at Bonaparte's goals and a few that's ringers good. up close, uh, which is cool. But, you know, nothing nothing crazy. No lesser black back. No lesser black back. We keep hoping and praying for a little goal. Mm. And with the, the bonies, because there's so many of them, but yeah, no, um, no avail so far. <laughs> Um, did you get in any feeding frenzies? No. There's, there's been a bunch of bonies uh, in that area. But. Yeah, they weren't feeding. They were. It was pretty much the end of the day, so everything was oh. going to roost and sort right. of just chilling on the water. I did have a bunch of gulls flying in from the north, super high, which inspired us to look up where the nearby landfills were. Oh, of course, of course. Because why not and then um we did you find any well there was stuff that like on google maps was like landfill and we were like mm, that doesn't look like a landfill but it might have goals <laughs> right <laughs> it's it's worth checking I, i've done some some very bad trespassing in order to look at a landfill but yeah <laughs> yeah um well turns out we went the next morning, so we had the treacherous climb back up in which I almost fell. Had to use Tim's scope to pull me, or like the tripod to pull me back up, or else I would have been <laughs> kind of stuck. Oh, wow. It was, wow. It was a lovely experience, but yeah, we the next morning we headed out to a uh, what was some sort of dump something <laughs> up in the north of the county. It was nothing. There was like piles mm. of dirt with no birds unfortunately and we about got yelled at because as i was pulling away some employee was driving back up with speed presumably to tell us to get the hell away but <laughs> it is what it is and we we hit like saudi lake so um, this new patterson road boat launch which i've never hit before where i got one of your nemesis birds a wilson snipe <laughs> <laughs> former former nemesis bird yeah, but it's still funny. Yeah. <laughs> Surely that'll go away at some point. <laughs> we'll be on our deathbeds and I'll be uh, like, Patrick. The Wilson snipe was too late. <laughs> um, and then we hit Old MacDonald Farm, which is a bunch of cornfields that have been like cut hmm. and plowed, maybe. Is that where the uh, horned lark and longspurs were? Yeah, there haven't been longspurs yet. Oh, there. really? Um, maybe that was a... An old record I saw. There's probably an old record from there. It would make sense. That's what we were thinking going there, like long spur, long spur, long spur. Mm -hmm. We had no long spurs. We had no horn larks. We had 
like once or twice something where Tim was like, Longspur, and then couldn't confirm it. Mm. We did have a bunch of pippets, including pippets that flushed and then landed on a telephone wire <laughs> and, <laughs> and walked on it. Uh, I've only ever seen one pippet on a telephone wire, and it was out of place. It was weird. I was like, oh, those are pippets on the wire. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, uh, very odd. Yeah, but, I mean, besides that. Yeah, any uh, Brewers Blackbirds? Nope. We mm. had no Blackbirds. Really? Um, yeah. We were really rushed through the day generally, though, because I had to get to an exam mm. by 1 p.m., and we were far up in the north. Actually, we made it to Hiawassee to check super quick. Wow. For reference, Hiawassee is about an hour from my school yeah. uh, to check and see if there were, there were some Ross's geese there. They were no longer Ross's geese there. Bunch of ducks, though. Came back to school and took an exam. And that's about all. That's all <laughs> I've been able to do. Yeah. Well, that's that's good. More than you, at least. <laughs> it's not hard to beat zero. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I mentioned it a second ago, but we have some very exciting birding just beyond the horizon. Um Tomorrow I leave for my Christmas bird count, and I'm guessing you start yours early Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, where are you doing your Christmas bird count? You start. You start. <laughs> I've been rambling. Yeah. Um, I am going to Real Foot uh, to do the Christmas bird count there. Where is that in reference of the state of Tennessee? <laughs> So Chattanooga is at the very bottom right corner of Tennessee, and Real Foot is at the very top left corner. So <laughs> I think it's a six-hour drive from here to there, which isn't as bad as I expected, but that's that's what we're working with. And I'm staying the weekend there, going midday tomorrow, hoping to relocate some rough-legged hawks that were seen uh, two days ago. So uh one I do you not know, have. Uh, very hopeful. I also have never seen one, but that's the best place in the state for them uh, annually. So who knows? But we've got some very uh, exciting journeys ahead. Uh, yeah, that'll be fun. I'm a little jealous of him, honestly. <laughs> Realfoot Lake is the only natural lake in Tennessee, actually, mm-hmm. and it has some of the best birding in the state. That whole area does. So yeah, he's gonna come back and have seen some cool stuff yeah and last year it was it was great and i was able to go on that uh, also and um my first tennessee black legged kitty wake was seen there during the count and uh about three hours after it was found <laughs> the alan troyer who found it sent a picture of it in the talons of a bald eagle <laughs> And it was no longer with us. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Sometimes that happens with vagrants. They are preyed upon because they're usually weaker um, or something is wrong with them. So, yeah. Yeah. But that was kind of hysterical and hard not to laugh at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's it's like, kind of a brutal thing yeah. to laugh at, but also. <laughs> our our phone just looked like black leg kitty wake at real foot. And then the very next message, there's no longer a black leg kitty wake at real foot. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what we were working with. But um, 
yeah, some some super cool birds there. I know the short-eared owl is really regular there on some of those uh, farm fields. So I think we're going to try and do some of that. But Do you have short-eared owl? I do. Um, I got it there. That was the only place oh, in, sweet. Uh, in the state. So um, really looking forward to it. And I have some targets. I, I need Brewer's Blackbird as a That lifer. should be easy yeah, there, right? It's, it's just a matter of, like finding it they are seen in that area all throughout winter every year but very hard to distinguish if you don't get good good looks and potentially pictures so hoping that we can get some of those um, one of those even but that's a more western species of blackbird closely related to or at least close in appearance to or rusty's rusty yeah. yeah also want western meadowlark we get those in winter in west tennessee and i don't have that for the state uh, it would be a lifer but it's the meadowlark that they have in hawaii so i got that there but <laughs> wait what there's meadowlarks in hawaii <laughs> yeah are they introduced uh, uh, of course yeah uh, everything on hawaii is introduced what except the? like what? five species but <laughs> yeah it's uh, they have such a <laughs> they have such a funny variation of of their species. There's meadowlarks in Hawaii. There, uh, there's, I mean, wild chickens. They have um, the ringneck pheasant I was talking about. Yeah. The, uh, all, yeah. all of it. They have Chinese bird, Indian birds, American Jeez. birds. But Hawaii is weird. It, it's very weird. <laughs> very cool. But yeah. Yeah, I think I actually only saw... Um, one endemic species whenever I went this spring. Really? Yeah, it was the Apapane, um, one of the honey creepers, I think. But yeah, everything is just restricted to a, the very tip tops of the peaks on each island. And I went to Kauai, so, I mean, you have to get up around 5,000 feet or more in elevation to get some of those endemics. But And I guess you didn't really have the chance. No, it was on a mission trip, so I'd, the only birding I could do was you know, from location to location that we were going. But yeah. um, we did go to the, to the lighthouse there, which was is one of the most famous uh, birding spots in the country, probably. Absolutely massive roost of red-footed boobies and great frigate birds. Oh, sick. Um, and I, I could have seen a couple of other species if I had tried, but I just didn't do quite enough research. But yeah, yeah, hey, but that's how it goes. Yeah. Other than that, back to um, the West Tennessee birds. Smith's longspur is possible. Very, very hard. But that possible. is funny that you mentioned that because I was literally looking at all the Smith's ro- longspur records for the state in the past ten years, like a few hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. It, it's one that I think everyone hopes for on this count because it's it's seen there, you know, what, every few years every probably. Year, it's like always a flyover. It's always yeah. It's, it's always one of the stoles. <laughs> but, yeah, really hoping to find that. My girlfriend's dad, Chris Agee, is taking me out there, and he wants it as a lifer and state bird, so... Um, that's that's probably our are y'all like what's the party look like for y'all is it just y'all two or um yeah 
us two and Josh Stevenson are riding out there. He's a Nashville birder and uh, meeting up with some of the other guys, probably 10 or 15 other guys. Maybe. Are y'all all going to be like working in one group together or is it going to be um, split up? Yeah, it's it's split up and I think it's typically the same every year, but it's like a designated circle that is sectioned off in little routes on a map. Yeah. And so we will probably get the section that we usually get and we'll check that and then spend the whole day birding that. And at the end of the day, everyone will meet back up and report what they saw in their respective sections. So, you know, in the case that there is a vagrant found or, you know, just a targeted bird that somebody wants to go see, like, obviously there's no rules that restrict you from going to chase it, but um, it's just a matter of trying to see as much as you can in your little region. But Sweet. Yeah. I think the owls will be fun to, to look for. I know that area is probably the only place in Tennessee with uh, regularly occurring long-eared owls, so... I doubt we'll see any, but uh, there's there's always a chance. <laughs> there's there's a, always a chance. There's always a chance. You know, didn't you text me in the past like week or two? Let's go find some long-eared owls this winter. <laughs> yes. I want to so bad. They're, I feel like owls are much more widespread um, than we think. 100%. I think solid yeah. owl here in Tennessee is... Yeah, I mean, last year Reuben found one in Tennessee. I mean, in Nashville. Yeah. Like just listening for them (laughs) i think i think that's the really the case is just people don't find them because they're really secretive during the day they don't call that much and yeah and they're small (laughs) like there's almost no chance of seeing one out otherwise so i mean even screech owls are you know difficult to find and vastly underreported yeah and they are extremely frequent so it's just yeah. a matter of like really trying for them and then you can find them. But if you're just like birding on a regular day, you just won't see them. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I I would love to really focus on some owling this winter. That would be I'm awesome. <laughs> I am game. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? But about a month ago at the beginning of November, I was in North Georgia on a little retreat with my college ministry, and I was birding at about 7.30 in the morning, and um, I heard a call that I had never heard before, so I immediately started recording, and it only called one more time, and... Everyone is stumped. To this day, no one knows what it is, but it does sound exactly like a boreal owl. <laughs> Which, by the way... If it is, I I would be speechless. <laughs> I would like I think stop birding. <laughs> Who knows? But it's, I mean, I've had all kinds of suggestions. I think northern flicker, turkey, frog, um, groundhog. I feel like we've already um, talked about this uh, here. Yeah, it's probably. But, <laughs> um Anyways, that's, I don't know, I I think I would, that would be incredible, and I really do want to just find out what it was, even if it wasn't even a bird, Um, but yeah, that's on my e-bird, if anyone wants to go listen to that. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll link it in the description of the show. (laughs) 
but yeah there's there's some cool owls in in the area over winter so yeah wow but yeah um what does your christmas bird count this weekend look like shocker at baylor uh <laughs> i'm doing the chattanooga count so um me and the guy just moved here from idaho his name is austin we'll be hitting up baylor um, is his name austin young yes i just is. got a friend request from him on facebook <laughs> <laughs> i'll accept that shout out to austin <laughs> um yeah we're gonna hit baylor but hopefully we're gonna try for owls in the morning i'm hoping to get you Something said you're waking weird. up at four thirty. <laughs> uh, no, I'm getting to Baylor at four thirty. I'm uh, waking prob- up before that. Probably three forty-five. Okay. Wake up call. Understood. Unless I sleep on campus, which I don't think is allowed. So maybe, yeah, might be worth it. <laughs> yeah. So are you only doing the campus, or are you going yeah. further? So we're gonna go over to Williams Island. Uh, I have a couple kayaks that inherited from my grandfather. Um, that we're going to take out to Williams Island. So Baylor is on the Tennessee River, and just across from us is there's an island, which has some really incredible birding. Yeah, it's it's pretty large, massive land. So Yeah, it's like perimeter is like over four miles. It's a, it's a pretty big island considering the size of the river it's <laughs> in. Right. There's a bunch of fields. There's a, like a really good field for sparrows and then a bunch of, fields that they grow hay on which mm-hmm. might have some cool stuff on it this time of year and some cows uh just to get a cattle eager in december um <laughs> and there's there's a good little pond on there that should have good ducks on it because mm. it's private property i have gotten access from the people who own it it's private property so no one's over there hunting and nice it's completely undisturbed, so there should be ducks, and hopefully there's some holdover great egrets there or something. Yeah, yeah, it sh- should be cool. We'll see. I've I've thrown out some very optimistic numbers <laughs> for the Such species as. count that we'll get. So I said seventy-five to eight. 85 what did, what did i say 75 yeah range? i think 75 was like i think we will get 75 knock on wood but <laughs> i you know we'll see i think if we have a really good day we could push 85 but i don't know it just it really just depends on the day yeah. the amount of diversity of ducks over on that pond because baylor's been kind of dismal for duck diversity recently mm-hmm. i went out and counted the ducks and scared them through and it was 62 mallards and nothing else mm-hmm. um it's all right it happens yeah. but you know are you um expecting any vagrant species on that count yeah i mean nothing's like really i would say is expected i would hope for something like a horned lark or a long spur mm. to show In some up some of those fields yeah on williams island some of those fields would be good i don't know we can dream right mm-hmm. and we can say tropical kingbird yeah our fork-tailed <laughs> flycatcher <laughs> yeah who knows those two are vastly overdue for the state yeah um and i think fork-tailed flycatcher is probably even more expected than tropical at at this point it's looking at the records around us it seems like we are one of the last states in the eastern u.s to get one 
Yeah. Um, I, it doesn't make sense. Why don't we have one? Like, yeah. we have a Cassin's Kingbird, which I know. doesn't make sense. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we've got uh, all kinds of crazy birds, like sharp-tailed sandpiper. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it'll be Ancient seen. Merlet. I think it'll be seen here soon. Um, I think so many people have it on the mind that it's just going to happen. <laughs> I have it on the mind so much that there's a field at Baylor <laughs> that I've dubbed the fork-tailed flycatcher field because it's where one's going to show mm-hmm. up. So we have ash-throated flycatcher bridge and fork-tailed flycatcher field now. Yeah, uh, the fork-tailed flycatcher field, it doesn't really deserve its name, though. <laughs> Not yet, right? Not yet. I do scan it pretty frequently so hopefully <laughs> have you ever seen one before no i haven't yeah that'd be a lifer for me as well yeah forktail flycatchers don't show up anywhere in the u.s with regularity right there i didn't know that i thought that they did have a little bit of range but i was informed of that today but yeah I, I probably could have seen one in honduras if i had tried but yeah they're they have multiple subspecies from what i know and all through central and south america and so the birds that we actually normally get in North America are uh, austral migrants. So they're heading to their um, wintering range. So they're, they just overshoot a bunch. So from somewhere, say, Chile, Argentina, Brazil or something, and then they're flying north and they overshoot a bunch or we'll get reverse migrants. It's just stuff like that. Hmm. And they're almost always one-day wonders, it seems like, in the States. And they show up so, like, widely everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's all months of the year. Yeah. Which is just weird. <laughs> like, all months of the year in all parts of the country. Mm-hmm. I I think I've I missed a fork-tailed flycatcher by a few days in Virginia Beach a few years back. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I was, like, monitoring it, and it had actually stuck a couple days which is weird for them. Um, or I guess maybe not super weird, but most of them are one or two day, but wonders. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I missed it. It is what it is. I'll see one eventually. Yeah. But this is a really cool bird there. Um, picture for those of you that know what an Eastern King bird looks like. It's like <laughs> an Eastern King bird with a, a scissor tail flycatcher's fly tail. So that's a little bit smaller than a Robin white below gray on top sort of a black cap and then a super super long forked black tail oh, and stunning bird they're really super, super cool. I, I would love to see one would you say that's one of your worst misses or no it doesn't feel like even feel like a miss i was like 11 at the time so it wasn't like a <laughs> yeah like a painful thing or anything um yeah. i think uh kelp goal probably my worst miss Oh, oh, <laughs> do tell. I was in South Texas at the time. That oh, Br- shoot. Brownsville <laughs> oh, landfill had one. And um, I was about an hour late and three hours oh, early. Oh, no. It, it was seen in the morning and then was not seen for about four or five hours the day I was there. Uh-huh. And that's when I was there. And then that evening it came back and a bunch of people got to see it, but that I just didn't sucks. have time to stay. So, um, but I mean, with a goal like that from the Southern end of South America, primarily, that's, I mean, unreal, but 
Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> that is rough. Wow. Yeah, but I mean, I, I also was not on any good local chats for South Texas, or otherwise, I probably could have chased it a little bit. Yeah. Better, but yeah. Um, it happens. It yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah. What other vagrants do you think might show up here in Tennessee uh, this winter or in the next year? I don't know. I one that I I dream of is Ladyback Gull. Mm. I that's, think that's definitely. I think it's a, a possibility for sure. It's yeah, shown it's, up. it's probably one of the most expected at this point. Yeah, it just depends on if you can get a landfill with good viewing. So, and you get, get lucky, but yeah, yeah, that's, I really like their banding code S bag. Uh, S bag. That's pretty funny. Cause they also just look mean. So it really fits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, speaking of goals, the yellow footed goal was just found in Texas, right? In Texas, yeah. And Speaking that's, of that's Texas, just, like on our last, <laughs> last episode, they're just on fire. Oh, I know. And like, it wasn't even known when it was reported. It was posted to a, a Goal ID group on Facebook, and then they it's a state first. So Texas is on fire. Yeah. They, I, I have no idea what their state list is up to now. But. Yeah. Nothing will beat California. I don't know. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Sidetrack. We're gonna check te- the Texas state list. What's it, any bets on what the state list for Texas is? Uh, I'm gonna say five seventy five. I'm gonna say six oh two. Let's see. Big mo- six seventy five. Holy <laughs> crap! A hundred more. <laughs> uh, that's on eBird. So Whoa. I don't know what the official state list. Yeah, it's probably like six eighty or something. No, I would say actually the official state list is probably less because California on Ebird is, I think, like 702. Let's see. Um, but the official state list is, I think, 676. Yeah, uh, California is 70, 706, but the official state list is 676. So I think Ebird counts a couple exotics and other birds that didn't make it through with the committee. So Texas is probably in the 650 range officially, hmm. whatever that means. In quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Man, I, I love Texas. And we, we do have I want to go back. a couple friends there at the moment. Nolan Walker got a shout out last episode, but he will again this one. He's guiding down there. So yeah, uh, turning up some great numbers this winter. But Ryan Rodriguez is a a birder even younger than us and he's doing incredible things down there as well is he actually younger than us yeah i think he's really? 17 or something that's but insane god yeah. i've never felt old before <laughs> but yeah that's some of the, my favorite birding down there i'm i'm gonna try and get back there this spring to galveston so hopefully that works out but yeah now we can talk some more about baylor yeah I've been going to school here since I was, how old was I? 12. So six years. So you started in sixth grade, I think. Yeah, I started here in sixth grade and I've been birding here since sixth grade and it's incredible. I've seen 213 species here. The the campus list is all I care about in life. (laughs) Um, 
without my campus list, I would just perish mm. off the face of the earth. Seems like your priorities are straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. Grades, no. Campus list, yes. Yeah. I'm on school more than any of my uh, friends. Like, I'm at school more than any mm. of my friends, but I'm studying. But not for academic reasons. Yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> like, I look out the window in class frequently to see what birds are out there. Well, you have some, some a good record from doing I, that. Yeah, yeah. So back in 2021, I was in Spanish class, but it was the day after the remnants of a hurricane had passed through. So I was like, oh, there's there's a high possibility for something crazy out the window. So I selectively chose a seat right next to a window that was overlooking the river. And I had a freaking sooty turn. Jeez. Did you even have binoculars? No. <laughs> I, I had, um, thankfully it was an immature because if it was an adult, it would have been bridal door sooty. I wouldn't have been able to tell, but mm. it flew like right next to the window. Like not right, but like close enough to see it that's, well. Um, that's so cool. <laughs> like, I mean, the window is probably 20 feet from the river and the bird was maybe 30 40 50 feet i don't know i can't remember just well enough to identify it but yeah it was it was cool i'm I'm gonna take a wild guess and say that not many people have done that i might be the only one i might be the only one um wow that was that was pretty insane uh i mean i've had black-billed cuckoo in the middle of english class before wow uh that's one of my better finds um in my life, I had one up in Davidson when I was oh, yeah, 10 yeah. or 11. Yeah. Um, and there's some killer photos of that that I did not get. But <laughs> it, it was right in front of everybody, so that was cool. Yeah. Man, I I mean, and then outside of, you know, birding from the windows, I bird there almost every weekend. It's 15 minutes from my house. Well, actually, we're on campus, bird here. <laughs> we can see the river yep. from... <laughs> where we're sitting right now yeah but it's right on the river so there's and there's a good amount of force it's 700 a acres. flock of wax wings just flew by are you for real <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh, yeah so um it's 700 acres much of which is just forest crazy crazy it's a high school it's ridiculous um but yeah a lot of a lot of forests, so we got like breeding summer and scarlet tanagers, and good migration, um, in the spring and fall. But honestly, I would say that it is relatively lackluster in the uh, migrant warblers department. I would beg to uh, differ. <laughs> What's your warbler number? Do you know that off the top of your head? For Baylor, yeah, thirty. Yeah, I, okay. <laughs> well, well, there's only what like 35 in, in wait, the Eastern let's, US. Let me let me see, let me see. I say that just because it's never like insanely thick like I've had it in other places. Like, yeah, yeah. I I bird Baylor enough to the point where I've had about every single expected warbler, but I don't I don't know. I feel like up on the ridges you'll get like a Tennessee warbler every 2 feet. It feels mm-hmm. like 
um, in the spring singing area. I mean, that makes sense though. Like you are kind of down and at a lower elevation spot. Yeah. Right, um, right so. next to the ridges too. So I yeah. bet a lot of stuff goes up. Um, but that would make sense. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not bad for warblers at all. It's, <laughs> it's better in the fall in my opinion. All right, let's see how many species of warblers do we have? Yeah, it's 35. Decent. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah. Actually, that is that is every single expected warbler species minus Connecticut warbler, which has yeah, been recorded ask. in the past there. So oh, Really? I guess not that lackluster for warblers. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the I think the only one in Tennessee that I need still. Really? Is Connecticut. That'd be a lifer. But Let's find one this spring. I know. I, that, that would be a goal. So you said you have seen one, or that was uh, just in the past? Uh, Dan Jacobson has a historical record Wow, uh, from Baylor. He points out the area to me sometimes. Um, yeah. it's, I mean, it makes sense. There's, there's good habitat for it. I should get one. I mean, we can really target that next next spring. That'd yeah, be- I'm I'm really hoping. I've gotten morning warbler here in the past. Um, it's great for like northern water thrush and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, where we get northern water thrush transition here, look at that is along what we call Baylor Lake. It's somewhere in between a wetland and a pond and a lake. It's a it's a cove. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's where Stringer's Branch and Mountain Creek pour into the tennessee river and it just flattens out and there's um a body of water that is made progressively worse by baylor not knowing how to manage it well hmm. well that's what you're doing with the research right yeah, yeah so storing that i'm trying to it's going to become a forest with two streams going through it in the next few years if something isn't changed though but as of right now it's it's really good birding i mean I have roosting flocks of in the range of 200 Canada geese there every night. Um, They're probably flying in right now. Yeah, we, we just speak. heard someone on our walk here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've had pretty much all the expected duck species on campus. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. And you get waders there. And um, there's good habitat for Martian sedrin. I know you've yeah. had some amazing experiences with those birds out on campus yeah i mean this is probably the best spot in the county for both of those species just 100 percent um just because of the access you can have to them i think brenner levy is probably almost just as good but you just can't get to them as easy yeah i mean i i'd agree i think there's a few places where yeah there are as many Martian Cedrons, um, but the access at Baylor, if you're willing... It's, to, it's unbeatable. Yeah, if you're willing to work for it a little bit. Actually, <laughs> yeah. you don't even have to. Sometimes you can just walk a couple hundred feet yeah. through a field and have a Martian 10 feet in front of your face. Yeah, yeah. But some of my favorite memories at Baylor have been taking waders out into the middle of the lakes where there's, well, formerly a mudflat but now there's a bunch of grasses and uh, pickerel weed and stuff out there. Uh, it's actually, it's a really nice wetland habitat and it's full of pollinators in the summer. It's, it's really beautiful. Um, mm. And I had two marshrens within five feet of me just scolding while two more called within 30 feet. That's <laughs> it's crazy. That's unreal. That is um, unreal. Yeah. That whole, that area where we have Martian cedron 
hopefully are still wintering or like still here and they're overwintering so I can get them for the CBC. Um, <laughs> Have you heard them recently? I heard one a couple of weeks ago. I heard a Marshrin. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't really checked the area in a while just because I've been busy. Right. I haven't really birded campus that well in a month or so. But yeah, that area used to be a mud flat um, and now there's a lot of vegetation going up. Uh, to the point where it's actually an issue. So some of the research I'm doing with the school, I'm uh, removing vegetation for shorebird habitat, and hopefully Patrick will be able to help out yeah. with that. Yeah, I, I think that's going to happen for sure. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're removing that vegetation and restoring mudflat for shorebirds. It's, it's hard work. And we do don't want to remove all of it because it is such a, a great ecosystem for a lot of species. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it might draw in a, a purple gallinule, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's that. It's, you got to strike a balance between, you know, working for just the shorebirds, or just and working for everything else too. So, I think I think that's what we're we're what's what we're aiming for, and hopefully what the pl- management plan will do. Yeah. Speaking of that, one day when we were removing vegetation, um, my teacher, Ben, he's not a birder, he's a herper, uh, researches salamanders, and he showed up about 30 minutes late. There were a couple of, of us already out there pulling mud and or pulling pickerel weed out of the mud. Um, that's the dominant vegetation out there. Mm. Um, and he showed up and he was like, hey, Luke you know what I saw this morning while I was walking my dog? I was like, what? It was like a spoonbill. And I was like, no, Ben, you're full of crap. There's no way. Uh, Roseate spoonbill is a species of waiter that is pinkish, and it's got, uh, shockingly, a bill shaped like a spoon. So yeah. it's about the size of like a little blue heron, so half the size of a great blue, a little less than half the size of a great blue, I would say. And they can be hot pink. Like they can they, be hot pink, but the young ones are sort of a pale pink. Yeah, the uh, the the juveniles do kind of lack some of that extreme color. But um, like down when I've seen them in Galveston, uh, holy cow, they're gorgeous birds. Yeah, I actually have a roseate spoonbill feather on my bedside table. <laughs> really, that's yeah. sick. Yeah, I was looking at some in the marsh. Yeah, probably 2017, 2018. And uh, a feather was right there in the water, so I just picked it up. And <laughs> <took> it <home. laughs> hey. and I've got it on my um, Audubon painting collection book in that's my house. Sick. So, yeah, that's, that's cool. But Yeah. But yeah, that bird was insane. Yeah, so... <laughs> like 15 feet from a path. Yeah, like... I, we were out there removing vegetation and I was like, okay, I can't check right now. I'll see it if it flies off. Um, and so we got back and I almost actually drove off without checking. And then I was like, oh wait, Ben said he had a spoonbill. <laughs> and I, and I pulled over and yeah, yeah, there was a spoonbill. Um, literally, Crazy. I mean, this summer, 10 or 15 feet away. Yeah. This summer they did kind of. Um, explode in the same way that limpkins did but um, not quite to the extent at all but I think at that time when that one showed up we had like five or six at the Duck River uh, Duck River in West Tennessee yeah Um, funnily enough (laughs) 
when I called Patrick about this bird, he was like, well, there's no way I can make it out. Ah, I guess I'll make it out, right? Yeah. He, uh, this frequently happens. He's like, I'm way too busy. I have way too much homework. And then he still comes out anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, That's, you know, for good or bad, it nope. happens. But what what he ended up doing, having to do that day, do you want to you tell yeah, everyone? Yeah, so I was... <laughs> I mean, I was literally on my way to the Duck River unit to go ban some wood ducks. Um, and I was really hoping to see the five spoonbills that were there at the time. And then he calls me and shows me a picture of a roseate spoonbill right there on Baylor Lake. Um, so I rushed there on the way out of town. And I thought I might be the first person in Tennessee history to get... Um, two different roseate spoonbills in two different counties in the same day but alas <laughs> but they were not there uh, um at least i could not find them uh, whenever i got to the duck river unit so i got one roseate spoonbill that's still yeah pretty I great absolutely take it but yeah that was a that was a really awesome record right there mm-hmm. uh, that exact spot has also had what i would say is one of the best birds I've found on campus. I don't know if it's the best ash-throated flycatcher. We've talked about it before on the podcast, mm-hmm. but walking uh, to my car to get my phone for a recording of a blue-gray gnat catcher because it was a <laughs> late bird, and I was like, eh, I guess I'll get a recording to make the reviewer happy. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I snagged my phone, and I was parked right next to the Red Bridge, uh, or which is where the um spoonbill was seen from about 10 feet from that bridge yeah and i was just double checking making sure there wasn't anything weird and oh my god there was an ash throated flycatcher like the fifth bird i looked at yeah it, i mean yeah. baylor just keeps producing and <laughs> i mean i guess going further back before this summer and before i started birding with you what what were some highlights other than the city turn Nelson Sparrow is one that stands out. Yeah, um, yeah it was, this was a couple years back, I think 2020 actually, and I was walking along the edge of the lake with some just a little strip of grass that actually had me thinking LeConte Sparrow, hmm. like dreaming LeConte Sparrow, because this strip of grass is like nothing. Aren't, aren't we all dreaming LeConte Sparrow? We are. Um, but this <laughs> this strip of grass is nothing compared to the great habitat that is on the rest of campus for, you know, a Lacance, Nelson, Senzo, Sparrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I actually made a figure of all of that one day when I was bored and sent it to you. <laughs> yeah. You just uh, mapped out every single patch of grass across 700 acres. Yeah. I don't pay attention in stats yeah. class. Um, <laughs> hey, you're done with that exam now. So, Well, that was the first semester. Exactly. Um, uh, a whole nother semester of it. <laughs> but anyways, um, walking along this really crappy strip of grass and we flushed a Nelson Sparrow and gosh, and then it disappeared. It never perched up. We have no idea where it went. It probably flew the 10 feet into the much better or much more expansive habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, never to be seen again, unfortunately. Yeah. But Do you want to describe a Nelson Sparrow briefly? Yeah, so this is a tiny little sparrow that breeds uh, at least the subspecies that i got breeds in the prairie region of the united states and marshes and it is a 
brilliant sparrow. I have one of the best. Mm-hmm. It's bright orange underneath with bright orange on the face and then sort of a dark brown back with some mm-hmm. beautiful white streaking. Um, very crisp patterning overall. Um, yeah, I mean, Some gray thrown in there. Some what? Some gray thrown in. Yeah, on the nape. And that's how we identified it, actually. Um, The key difference between... Lacants and Nelsons. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's a beautiful bird. It is a beautiful bird. I I really wish that that bird would have perched up for us to get good looks uh, and pictures of. But unfortunately, no. But, you know, I still have a Nelson Sparrow on campus. That's that's great. Um, I mean, that's... In West Tennessee, um, all of our sparrow numbers are much higher and more frequent than out here in East Tennessee. So um, any of those three are highly sought after uh, and incredible birds to get. So, You know, speaking of Henslow Sparrow, we got something to look forward to in the spring. There is allegedly a location... Within an hour of here, actually, honestly, I think 30 minutes from here, maybe 40, which allegedly has over 100 singing Henslow sparrows. Are they breeding? Yeah. No way. Yeah. A hundred? <laughs> One zero zero. Is, is that true? Like, who did you hear that from? I heard it from Tim, who heard it from a friend, who heard it from a friend. Hmm. so who knows we've scouted the habitat on google maps and it looks perfect really um and it came from a reliable relatively reliable there's source. a bunch of fields up a county north of us that are not checked um which county are you thinking sequatchie this is sequatchie and county and, yeah and and migs but um so much habitat up there yeah it seems right for a lot of good sparrows that's just underburdened yeah i think i think this is legit that there's henslow's breeding there because the habitat is right um and it's in historical breeding range so i and there's it's expansive so Mm. i think yeah we're we're gonna go out there this spring me and tim have been talking about it Um, yeah i I will join you yeah you will join me where i'm (laughs) Even if you have an exam or something, I'm going <laughs> to knock you out, throw you into the back of the car, and you'll wake yeah. up with Henslow Sparrows. <laughs> I've actually worked with Henslow Sparrows before. Did you know that? I did not know that. Where was that at? It was actually in uh, eastern North Carolina, of all places. It is the only breeding population, if I'm remembering right now correctly, east of the Appalachians currently. There used to be a lot more, but habitat destruction. Wow. Um so I got to volunteer as a field tech for a little over a week out there. And yeah, it was, it was super awesome. I got to hold a Henslow Sparrow. Nice. I'm probably one of the only people in the world who have held both Ben Dyer's Thrasher and Henslow Sparrow within uh, three months. <laughs> um, and yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with them. It was, it was a really, really neat mm. experience. And that grassland was gorgeous. Yeah, there's, there's something about... Uh, marshes and grassland that really just captivates me me too I think the contrast between gold and uh, a green tree line in the back just does something to you but yeah it's ugh, i love i love that those type of birds too i've i've always been obsessed with like the martian cedron type birds and then like the that group of sparrows hens those lecontes nelsons like 
as long as I wrote past like three, four years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I actually wrote an English paper recently about finding every single wren in the genus that uh, Sedgemarshren are in. What is that genus? That's a good question. Give me <laughs> two seconds and I can find out. There are currently five species in that genus. There are probably upwards of seven to ten uh, in, in reality. The reason I say that is grass wren has so many disjunct populations with different like breeding biology. So like central Mexico to the southernmost tip of South America, open grasslands and marshes at sea level up to like Paramo in the high Andes. So like I'm reading off of the Ebert page and that's all just crazy different habitats that are, it's probably distinct and there's distinct looking plumages. So we have this, this, that, that and does yeah. look just like a cedron. It looks, it actually, it used to be, uh, in the same species as a cedron. So, wow. Yeah. Hey, I've never heard of that bird. It was split recently. Uh, but that, that genus is Cystothurus. <laughs> I think. Cystothurus. Rolls off the tongue. Yeah. I don't, however you would say that, but there are three species in central and South America, two of them, which Ooh. are parama specialists and are really sick. Endangered. Uh, yeah. Um, this is the Apollinar's wren. And that is endemic to the high Andes outside of Bogota, Colombia. And then there's the Merida wren, which is uh, endemic just to a few mountains in Bolivia. And uh, I can't remember which, but one of them has two different subspecies with really distinct breeding behavior, which is interesting Hmm. and could be a split or could just be two subspecies. It's very much, very, very much a tangent, but yeah, they're really sick birds. I I really hope to see them. Do you want to uh, briefly explain what constitutes a lot of splits or lumps? Yeah. So a lot of it is based on genetics. Yeah. So how far apart genetically two species are, or two populations, I guess. Um, And then also differences in song or call notes. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time will will be part of that something that will back up a split as well as plumage differences or um, breeding behavior or generally like habitat preference. All mm-hmm. of these overlapping will lead to a split. And if there's not much difference, that could be a lump. Um, yeah, pre-zygotic and post-zygotic barriers uh, for those splits. And then if they decide that it's just not enough <laughs> yeah and they, they bring them back sometimes yeah i, I know uh pacific slope and cordilleran uh those those two fly catchers just got uh lumped back for good reason hmm. i like having seen both of them it's the same bird <laughs> Um, there, I mean, there are two populations and if you're in the heart of their populations, yes, there's different, but there's so much overlap, Mm -hmm. uh, and the cause overlap, everything overlaps. Um, another thing that you look for with, with lumping species or splitting them is if they overlap and interbreed. So, right. For example, a, a future split that I strongly support is the two warbling vireos. 
Hmm. So Eastern and Western, they overlap in some areas and they breed in the same forest in some areas, if I'm remembering correctly, and they do not hybridize at all. Really? Yeah. Are they distinguishable at all by sight? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They are. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting to hear about some of the science around some of those splits. Um, It also begs the question, what is a species? Right, again. But um, (laughs) like... Winter and Pacific Wren used to be one species. Yeah. Pacific, obviously, being on the Pacific coast and uh, winter being over here with us in the east. Um, they look identical, but they have different calls and they don't breed together. So they were split for good reason. But you also have species like Song Sparrow that from the eastern U.S. to the western U.S., look completely different they just completely large different colors <laughs> like but man, the very wild and those are still the same species and they'll probably stay that way so the interesting thing with the song sparrow is it's i think the reason it is still the same species is it's just it's not like a abrupt stop it's just it's it's gradual gradient. yeah right. it's, a, it's it's a gradual change so, all across the range it's really cool um whenever i got to go to the smithsonian they had the entire gradient laid out in a line. Um, so that was really neat to see it just go from smaller, redder browns in the eastern ones to larger and more grayer browns in the western. Have you ever seen pictures of the Aleutian song sparrows? I have not. They're, they're wild, man. Aleutian song sparrows. Yeah. So Aleutian Islands in Alaska. I mean, the Aleutian Islands have a bunch of weird stuff going on with birds. For example, they have rosy finches that are like almost twice the size of normal great crown <laughs> rosy finches. Are those migratory birds? or I'm pretty sure they're just res- residents. Uh, right. Don't quote me on that, though. Great crown rosy finches have been kind of exploding this year. Let's um, get one. I know. That's, that's one I, I looked at to see if there was anything coming a little bit further south but there hasn't been yet hopefully man hopefully yeah i've actually i've seen all three rosy finches in one flock before by the way (laughs) what state was that in new mexico i i love new mexico i'm biased but man i would live there i would live there i I would love to get out west spend some time birding sometime yeah one day we're kind of running out of time so i'll say this one thing and then we can we can call it but the uh rock ptarmigan i think it's rock ptarmigan they are super dark on the island of atu like much darker than any rock ptarmigans elsewhere which makes sense because i think they have more volcanic rock where they're trying to camouflage from but like the closest populations are pretty far away and who knows that could be a a a potential split in the future there's so many of potential splits this is all just really North American and some South American species we're talking about. But, I mean, there's worldwide so many species that are yeah um, understudied and are only now getting attention that could constitute a split or 100%. a lump. 100%. So, I mean, like looking into, say, the islands in the Caribbean, I was talking to David about this, David Holly about this. There's four subspecies of house wren that are just not house wrens. Like they're just they're just not house wrens. So incredibly obviously not house wrens. Yet they're house wrens cuz no one just no one does the genetic work, no one does the right. research to right. do all that and there's just stories like that all through 
mostly areas that are outside of like your mainstream first world countries. So right. Yeah, like all through Asia, there's a bunch I mean, of understudy stuff in South of, America. In general, I think most ornithological studies is kind of uh, fresh still. I mean, yeah, <laughs> no one knew what happened to birds whenever they left for half of the year until like 1822, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like people, I think Aristotle thought they went to the moon. <laughs> So what a guy, Aristotle. Yeah. <laughs> I had to write about him on my ethics exam. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. But uh, this is a little off topic, but something I find really cool and funny. Um, they, The first proof of migration came from a, uh, I think it was a white stork in Germany that had a Nigerian spear through its neck. <laughs> <laughs> it was How how did that thing survive? I don't know, but it's it is stuffed <laughs> and in a museum in Germany right now. And oh, should, I want to go. I, we will absolutely link the pictures down below because it's funny. It's just <laughs> it it was reported. Uh, it was I think it was shot and um, it proved that that bird had been to Nigeria and back. So from that point on, migration was officially. Yeah, uh, deemed as the things the bird did for half the year, but yeah, uh, that's anyways very funny. But ornithology has uh, a bright future ahead of it, and I think we are both happy to be contributing. So, yeah, I think that does go ahead and wrap it up. Um, we will have another episode concluding our results from the CBCs we're about to do. So, yeah, that's. Exciting. Any any bets on how many species we'll get before we go? Um, I think we should bet. What what do you want to bet, Patrick? I think overall at real foot, we're gonna get one oh seven, and I think my group will get seventy eight. I think that's probably good. What do you think? I think I have no idea what Chattanooga will get overall, and we won't know for two months because that's how it always works with Chattanooga CBC. <laughs> Uh, but I think my group personally will get, I'm going to just say 80 just to beat you. <laughs> if, uh, if we're right, if one of us is right, coffee, coffee yeah. on the other person, caffeine. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds the good. next recording. <laughs> well, um, this has been back to birding. Uh, we are Excited to get back with y'all soon. Yeah. All right. And this is Luke Thompson. And Patrick Higgins. See y'all. See ya.